I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All Things Policy by Takshashila Institution. My name is Sachin Kalvag. I'm senior fellow here. In the thick of the ongoing protests by champion women wrestlers of India, a photo of them smiling at the camera after being manhandled by Delhi police went viral in the last week of May. It was as if to say that they wanted the political mileage out of their protests against the Wrestling Federation of India President uh, Brijbhushan Sharan Singh, the 66-year-old BJP politician who is accused of sexually assaulting and harassing several female athletes. Now, here's the thing. The photo was fake. News agencies and other social media outlets quickly called out the image, but the damage was done. It was shared millions of times over WhatsApp, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, and other influential social media platforms. Following this incident, all the protesting wrestlers began wearing masks to prevent any distortion of their emotions or faces using artificial intelligence software. With, while AI software have been around for years, the launch of ChatGPT by Microsoft-funded OpenAI in October last year, opened the floodgates for, an, for advanced versions of software that allow even a tech untrained person to generate images and videos that are totally fake but look real. In such a scenario, who can separate the fake from the real? My guest today is Karen Ribello from Boom Live, one of India's most respected fact checking organizations. Karen, an investigative journalist and fact checker for many years, has dedicated her life to finding out what is real and what isn't. But with AI, Karen's job has become increasingly difficult. News agencies around the world have active fact-checking teams that are trying to correct political and other kinds of distortions in real time. But as they say, fake news travels around the world in the time that accuracy has tied its shoelaces. With India going to the polls next year, the fear of political propaganda using AI tools is peaking. Today, I want to understand from Karen how deep is the problem and what can people like us do to keep ourselves safe from AI-generated fake news? Karen, welcome to All Things Policy Podcast. Thanks, Sachin. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's get straight into it. My first question is, can you lay out the ground, Karen, on you as a fact-checking expert and an investigative journalist? What are the problems? Firstly, what is AI doing? And what are the problems that for fact-checking professionals like you are facing when it comes to separating fake news from real. All right. So at the outset, I just want to make something clear, especially for the listeners, that when we talk about AI with regards to this conversation, we're referring to deep fakes because AI is a very large field. So artificial intelligence is a very large field and uh, deep fakes is one you know, sort of subset of it. And when we talk about deep fakes, it could be images, audio or video. So specifically today, we'll be focusing on the misinformation and the disinformation part of it and how AI has almost weaponized this space. So, you know, to give you an, an idea, we were anyways battling a lot of misinformation and disinformation in India. It's a huge problem, as I'm sure a lot of people are aware. 
and what you've just said i think since october last year we are seeing a whole new level open up in this war against disinfo and that's solely because of the advent of things like generative ai and uh, chat gpt and uh, software like mid journey which allow a person to create a hyper realistic image by just using text prompts you don't need to know any sort of coding so our jobs have become a lot harder and this is not something that has happened overnight i've been in the fact checking space since 2017 i first wrote about deep fakes in 2019 and i said even back then we were nervously watching how quickly this technology was progressing and it was terrifying even then and everything that we warned of we hate to say told you so but it has come true what we've seen in the last month the example that you've given uh, of the photos of the wrestlers smiling and i think just a few days before that there was another ai generated image which showed a large explosion near the pentagon and that went viral on twitter and you know rt the russian state backed media reported it the us markets in fact briefly dipped on the news that there was some sort of uh, explosion at the pentagon and eventually one of the uh, fact checkers at bellingcat called it out and said this is actually an ai generated image because it has discrepancies that you usually see with using this sort of technology so we are completely right now in uncharted territory and we are getting to the point where it's difficult even for fact checkers to solely rely on their eyesight you know just we can no longer tell by just looking at something whether something is real or not and that frankly is a very scary space to be in so that's where we are as of now and the uh, issue is that with generative ai Uh, the software and the system, so to speak, is learning all the time. So even if eight months ago, a generative AI software may not have been able to, you know, draw fingers or, uh, you know, there will be mistakes in limbs or hair or something like that, and the fact checkers would be able to call them out easily. But as months go by, because the system is learning uh, as it goes along each day, every second of the day, it will become more and more, you know, good at the job. right and and that will create even more problems because you know as a fact checkers then you will not be able to figure out maybe you know maybe not now but maybe 6 months down the line or one year down the line whether this is real or not and the distinction between fake and real is narrowing by the day you're absolutely right i mean this uh, notion that people can just focus on the fingers and because the fingers look distorted or look they don't look like human hands and that's a good way of detecting it's completely foolish because we know the manufacturers of these software they are already working on this problem they're aware of it and it's just a matter of time that this problem is solved where you will have perfect hands perfect fingers you will not be able to tell at all in fact previously researchers used to point out and journalists as well that some of these deep fake videos would not blink the initial iterations but we don't see that anymore so that's one challenge they've already overcome so relying on the fact that right now it's not 
completely getting something like limbs or something correctly it's a very half baked solution to uh, approach to tackle this i have been following this twitter handle called this person does not exist and it's a handle mm-hmm. that tweets ai generated images of human faces and i have been noticing with dismay at how good it's gotten over time at recreating a completely normal looking human face of different ethnicities different ages and gender uh, i mean initially it had weird things like mushrooms growing out of the ears or heads or some it used to get uh, you know tiny details like say earlobes or something it wouldn't render it correctly but even now even that challenge it's managed to overcome so you're right whatever we are seeing right now in terms of especially this part of ai recreating hands you know it's a it's just a matter of time before that problem is solved two important organizations from around the world actually from one from india one coalition from india one coalition from the us and elsewhere you know wrote open letters saying that any research on generative ai should be halted so that there are enough policies and regulations in place Uh, so that this kind of distortion does not happen but uh, realistically speaking there is no way to control that isn't it yes i mean you know such in what all of them what all these large tech companies would like us to believe that all of this was inevitable and i'm here to say that it wasn't it yeah. was not inevitable the path that we're on at every single step there were multiple warnings you know to to slow down to sort of think it over have these safeguards in place but the big tech actually has just right now they're in the mode of saying oh you know it's everyone's problem so the government should sort of step in and its policy makers it's their responsibility that they come up with some sort of safeguards but actually what happens when something is everybody's problem then it's nobody's problem so i mean what we need right now is a this sort of tech disarmament because uh, this technology is extremely dangerous the you're only limited by your imagination in terms of the harm it can do we're already seeing you know sort of drips of what it is capable of doing and uh, we are just getting started so there was a report by uh, the reuters institute in april 2023 in which it quoted a phd student and a member of the oxford internet institute felix simon who said that you know let's not be so alarmist about ai and generative ai technologies because like you pointed out it in in some cases you know it was inevitable the relationship i'm just quoting him here from sure. the report he says one could say that what we see with generative ai is just a continuation of the relationship between the image and the truths that has always been unstable many people will get used to it then develop defense mechanisms both on a personal level but also at an institutional level where news organizations will probably go to greater lengths to check if images show what they claim to show so phoenix is saying that you know it is not so alarmist at the moment but like you pointed out and and we we noticed that you know by the time fact checkers such as you come into the picture and clear everything because you need to be 100% accurate the people who want to distort need not be even 1% accurate and that is therein lies the problem because the distance or the gap between uh, fakeness and reality is so wide that by the time you come in and clarify everything it could take you know anywhere between 2 hours to a day or maybe even more than that and by the time you've done everything by the time you've fact checked everything 
the damage has already been done and this is especially problematic next year when both the americans and indians uh, go to polls and these are two of the most hotly contested uh, elections in uh, global history yeah i mean it's always been a game of cat and mouse and you're right that what uh, the fact checking side of it is really resource intensive and time intensive it doesn't it barely takes seconds to generate a fake image using a text prompt but the fact checking part of it first of all we need to detect it so we need to spot it then once we spot it you know we need to figure out how do we debunk this or sort of show the reader that this is fake and it doesn't exist so in that sense we are at a disadvantage in terms of time uh, what we are saying is that this was not inevitable because the the effort in terms of detection did not at any point of time match the effort that was made to uh, bring this technology to the public so even right now it's just you know probably some organizations in europe and non-profits and government funded initiatives that are working on detection but even that is not making progress so i am not sure how you know it's very easy to say yeah the the fact checking part will catch up with it but we need to see evidence of that right now we're not seeing you know we're just seeing this technology outstrip any sort of efforts to detect it uh karen before we go into our break i just want you to explain to our listeners what exactly goes into the fact checking process because we know that see when we see the final story on boom live or any of the fact checking websites we see the final story but we don't see the effort and like i pointed out you know by the time the uh, whatsapp image or video has gone viral it may be many many hours or perhaps even a day or two uh, before you can come up with a 100% fact check accurate 100% true uh, report on that so in brief if you can just explain to us what exactly goes behind the scenes in terms of the fact checking process because ultimately you are doing a journalistic job that you know other journalists have been doing for hundreds of years but you know sadly many of them don't these days but your job is difficult as it is and with generative ai and other kinds of ai tools it's going to be even more difficult but anyway we'll get to that later but in brief you can just explain to us uh, what exactly goes on behind the scenes uh yeah sure i mean you know we try to treat it as a normal fact check so the first step would be to detect it so i think our reporters or our fact checkers would have to spot it or come across it or we invite our uh, readers to send us such images as well which we want to which uh, they want us to fact check and then you know once sometimes it's easy to spot that something is a deep fake image for example we i think just two days ago we did images of dwayne johnson you know wearing robes and performing hindu prayer rituals and there was a claim that he had converted to hinduism so if you looked at that image it had very typical telltale signature style of mid journey which is this deep hyper realistic uh, you know where the colors are deep and uh, you know you you can sort of tell that mid journey has been used plus in that image there was some issue with his fingers as well something we discussed earlier as well so sometimes we it's easy to you know point those things out plus you you kind of use a bit of reverse logic saying you know that this news has not been reported anywhere else there's no mention of this on his personal account as well therefore we can safely conclude and uh, we sort of use that that is for images 
In one case, we actually used mid-journey to recreate a similar deepfake image. It showed uh, the Pope in a hot tub with two women. Th that was the image we were fact-checking. It was made on mid-journey. So, I mean, uh, it we, it was easy yes, to tell. Yes, I remember that, that Karen, because yeah. that was the image where the fingers were distorted and people called yes. that out uh, immediately. Yes. But there was so, also a, a photo yeah. of the Pope in a Balenciaga uh, winter that's jacket. Right, that's right. That created a huge, uh, you know, ripple in the internet on the internet. Yeah, and even that image had a problem with the fingers, but I think then somebody cropped it and uh, you know removed that part. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but lately, I mean, the more difficult ones to catch are the deepfake videos. And we have seen some of that. Uh, there was a video of Kamala Harris where she sounds like she's speaking gibberish. And it's a public rally. And uh, I think the, the text was something like today is yesterday and yesterday is today or something where she completely either she sounds intoxicated or she sounds crazy. But that was a bit of a sophisticated deep fake because what the person creating it had done was they synthesized her audio, which means they synthesized her speech. Um, right. And it wasn't somebody just dubbing over her video. So they took an actual video of her at speaking at a public event and then they synthesized her audio speaking gibberish and then they matched the lip movements to that particular speech so that was harder to detect luckily her the live speech was uploaded on her i think on her social media account and uh, the text of the speech was on the white house website as well uh, so we checked those and we said that you know there is no part where it corroborates that she said all of this and then we wrote to university professor who specifically studies deep fakes and he confirmed and said uh, that yes this is a deep fake so so that is the sort of te deep fake technology that uh, sort of troubles us and is worrying because right now that technology maybe it can only synthesize speech in english but what happens when it can do it in like Hindi or other uh, regional languages? You know, you have, let's take, for instance, uh, Prime Minister Modi. He has such a large digital footprint, both in terms of audio, video, images, etc. You could easily train a software to recreate his voice and then give an input and get that voice to say anything. Uh, and can you imagine With the lip sync be... match, right? Yes, yes, with the lip sync matched. I mean, it would take a little tech of some more sort of technical expertise, but it's absolutely doable. We've seen this in uh, with the Manoj Tiwari video as well before the 2019 elections. They did create a deepfake video that they said that was used for campaigning at that time. And it had him speak, I think, in multiple different languages. So it's not like this thing has not been done before. On that cheery note, Karen, I want to take a short break. We will come back soon after this promo of our work at Takshashila. Thank you once again for joining us. Uh, we have with us Karen Ribello, one of India's most respected fact-checkers on the All in All Things Policy podcast by Takshashila. Karen, before we left, for the break, we were speaking about what kind of effort goes in to, you know, to create a clarifying story or a fact check. And that is a significantly longer time because you have to be 100% accurate. But by the time that uh, fake news has already traveled around the world, 
Uh, but as we go along, we also spoke briefly about this, about this before the break, is that uh, with elections coming up and the political scene being heated up like nothing else, we will see more and more fights, not at public squares on our roads, but in social media uh, platforms such as WhatsApp or Snapchat or Facebook or Twitter or any such thing, where we will inevitably see such deepfakes and more and more sophisticated deepfakes. You mentioned how you know we have hundreds and hundreds of hours of our political leaders which are archived in terms of video, in terms of audio, and we can, with a little bit of sophistication, match whatever uh, we want to portray, as they say, with their lip movement. How are you, as a fact-checking professional, getting ready for this? It is not only a labor-intensive job, but also a training-intensive, you know, capital-intensive, because you need to have the right people behind you. You need to have the right technologies behind you to correct all the distortions. Uh, how are you getting prepared for this? Yeah, sure. I mean, first of all, we are not sort of burying our head in the sand and say we can't do anything about it. We are 100% curious about this technology and we've been testing it out ourselves. And we are trying to see if we can use the technology itself in the fact-checking effort. And I think I gave an example of that when there was an image of the Pope in a hot tub with two women. You know, I told my report, I said, you can point out all everything that's wrong with the image, including the distorted fingers, etc. But I want you to give the same prompt to the software and recreate the image. We, of course, watermarked it and said, uh, you know, this is only for fact-checking, etc. But to show how easy it is to sort of make these images. So one way is uh, we are testing it ourselves and seeing what it's capable of doing. Uh, in terms of chat GPT, when you give it an explicit prompt to say, write a fake news story about something, you know, whatever comes to your mind. Uh, it says, I'm sorry, I cannot do this. I'm not programmed to do this, etc. But there are ways to work around that by giving it indirect prompt. So I think at one point of time, we tried to see if it could create a fake article about one community member committing a crime against another community member. So when we said recreate a fake news story, it refused to do so. But when we said create a news story using the same thing, but much more outline, it did it. It reproduced you know, an article that read like a news article with all the details we had mentioned. So it's very important to know what uh, the technology is capable of doing. So that's one way. Realistically, we don't expect anything from the Election Commission of India because we've had, uh, we've already seen misinformation surge during the 2019 elections and nothing was done by the EC at that point of time, apart from saying that it's monitoring, etc. We're also constantly talking to platforms like Facebook and, uh, you know, telling them what is out there and that they need to keep an eye out on this stuff. Uh, what amazes me was a couple of years ago, all these platforms, Google and Facebook, you know, they had this briefly in between. They said, we are not going to allow any synthetically generated content on platforms. And then within a couple of months or I think a year or so that it's almost as though they forgot about it or they rolled it back. Where uh, So right now we sort of see this ambiguity 
and this reluctance to sort of spell out what they'll allow on the platform and what they won't. And that is a bit dangerous. It cannot be the onus of only journalists and fact-checkers to catch this stuff. In April also, the government had made it very clear that it will not interfere in the growth of AI systems in India. Later in May, I remember that uh, IT Minister Shini Vaishnav had said that AI regulation laws in India uh, will be drafted in conjunction with other like-minded nations. So it is not as if there will be India-specific policies or laws or regulations. But you know, if other countries institute them, then maybe India will uh, look at either copying them or creating them in conjunction with other countries. So it's a bit of a you know a downer in that sense that uh, while the uh, government is aware of the the distortion that AI can create, but I think because it also wants to promote AI businesses, it is finding itself in a difficult spot not to bring in any kind of uh, legislation or regulation. Right. I think right now everybody just is like, let's see what the other guy is doing. <laughs> you know, we'll take a call and, and figure out. Uh, I mean, that seems to be the approach. But as I said before, also AI is very large. So we are specifically asking them to, you know, bring in safeguards on the misinformation and disinformation side of it. Whatever possible benefit it might have in this space, it, it's just completely overshadowed by the, the potential harm it can do. And it's no longer potential harm, it is doing harm. Uh, we're already, you know, I've already come across AI-generated pornographic images targeting a particular community in India. And I told my team as well that, you know, with regards to disinfo, AI is just going to make already existing trends worse. So if there's communal polarization, it will just add to it. It's not going to sort of open up a new headache and or we have to think any differently than what we were doing. It's just going to amplify the problem that was anyways there. True. Yeah, I think my point mostly revolves around election propaganda because you see we expect election propaganda at every election be it a municipal election or the national election but now because elections are getting in, you know increasingly more and more hotly contested and there are literally hundreds and hundreds of crores involved it will be you know it, it is quite inevitable that political parties will target each other using ai tools and uh, you know how efficient are those political parties is going to perhaps separate their success on uh, WhatsApp groups and, uh, you know, Facebook chats or Twitter conversations. So in, in that sense, you know, training your people, uh, getting more and more people into your team can help. But like you pointed out, it may be, you know, more and more difficult for uh, someone like you to uh, execute at a time such as the elections. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, election times are like, it's, it's you know, it's wartime for both politicians and, and for fact-checkers as well. The volume of content and, you know, the, the disinfo just rises exponentially. So we are just slammed in the weeks leading up to an election. And I expect no different, you know, going into 2024 as well, except that now, your political actors have a oh, weapons-grade technology with them. So uh, it's going to be really hard. Yeah. And uh, anyways, they were using their proxies. So they were using their supporters to pump this into the system. So you'll never have a political party handle that will explicitly tweet an AI-generated video. Or you never know. I may be proven wrong very soon. 
but uh, what i'm saying is they they usually use their supporters or they use these proxy pages you know pages which run slow campaigns etc so it's going to be a whole very ugly fight that uh, you know we are going to have to get our hands uh, dirty into yeah i remember that a reporter from india called mohammad ali had written a very extensive piece on uh, in wired magazine if i'm right on how whatsapp groups were responsible for several uh, localized riots in various states in india and uh, the whatsapp groups were essentially passing out you know misinformation disinformation and in many cases you know fake news fake videos and fake uh, photographs to foment uh, all kinds of uh, distorted realities if you remember even during the lockdown we had several you know fake news that originated uh, you know when the exodus of people happened from the cities back to the villages you know there were you know you know potentially riots that were that were prevented from happening but you know could have happened uh, in light of these things you know given all of that it is not just about election propaganda but also a genuine fear of uh, street violence or even you know safety of women for instance or safety of particular women uh, who can be targeted uh, because of the political ideologies and that has already started happening uh, regardless of uh, whether ai is happening or not yeah it's just become easier i mean i mentioned that earlier we were seeing ai generated images which over sexualize images of women and in this particular case it is uh, you know it's a pandora's box because the what can happen is you can take an existing photo of a woman and then uh, sort of modify it and depict it however you want to and the other side is that you could generate an ai generated image of a woman who doesn't exist at all and if that image is sort of pornographic or in nature uh, you know then is it a crime sharing it or who is it offending who is the crime committed against it is i mean all these questions you know policy makers will have to sit and think and your uh, social media uh, giants will also have to think of the implications of it i've said this before we are seeing we saw over sexualized images of muslim women you know that have already been uh, tweeted and they have been made using ai it's virtually impossible to tell apart from the fact that some of it has like a telltale signature so that you know it's already a problem and this is not going to be a problem just for i mean one particular community i think people are underestimating the harm you know that can do you can extend this technology and misuse it to like let's say target a company or bring down a stock market or i don't know i mean the list of things that you can how you can misuse this technology is endless so right um, right so it's yeah. not just about just about one you know targeting one individual but it could be a community it could be a religion it could Absolutely, be a state yeah. it could be yeah and state actors as well right you can create a whole online persona including images and videos and create a campaign or honey trap i mean governments need to think of this i'm pretty sure they are also in their own ways thinking how they can exploit it and use that technology but this is not out of the realm of possibility anymore i mean we are already seeing some of it happen already so yeah also see honey trapping has been an old uh, military strategy uh, but at the same time with with deep fakes and similar uh, ai tools it can become more and more real and with uh, uh, you know with the national security concerns 
uh, so important because of our you know adversarial relationship with China or adversarial relationship with Pakistan. You know, our, it puts our national security at stake if we don't uh, take this into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I was thinking of, you know, you already have this option of making AI presenters. There's one news mm-hmm. channel that's already doing it. But uh, I mean, imagine right now you're sadly in this country or in a situation that many of the mainstream anchors are sort of promoting this majoritarian agenda. But you could easily use an AI anchor and create a whole AI based channel. And what's there to stop it from saying whatever you want it to say? I mean, there are no consequences at all. We haven't thought about, I could get an AI-generated presenter to pretty much say uh, just about anything. In that and case, you don't need you, a TV channel for that, right? Because you exactly, also already you don't even need a platform. TV channel. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could you could just make that clip viral on WhatsApp or on YouTube or whatever. And you know, video is so powerful in India. It is not Chat GPT which worries me. The worry for me is fake audio, the fake images, the fake video, and the reason for that is they are so visceral. It, uh, you know, these things sort of bypass your uh, logical reasoning and have a greater impact in terms of believability. You are more likely to believe something when you see it rather than read about it in an article. So that is where you are going to see, you know, most of your AI, at least in the disinfo space, consecrated. So. And in the, uh, see the, the actors, the non-state actors or even state actors who are spreading this information are aware of the fact that a significant majority of the people who receive this will never do any fact-checking, right? I mean, they will absorb that information, imbibe that information and pass it on to their uh, community, whatever that community is, whether it's family, friends or, or neighbors or on a building, uh, you know, people or in the institution that they work in, etc. So that spread is independent of, you know, any political party then, because once it's released into the public, uh, then it gains a life of its own. And then you have no control over it to stop it. So, you know, given that background, I was wondering whether our, you know, people like you, fact, the, you know, there, I know there is a global fact-checking network, uh, which you're a part of, you know, the India fact-checking, you know, uh, community. Are any of you, you know, coming together and figuring out or at least suggesting to the government that we need to bring in some kind of policy and, and, and what shape uh, will that policy or regulation take? Do you have any... You know, even a you know thirty-five thousand foot in the air, feet in the air kind of view on this. Um, I think right now we are uh, sort of uh, engaging with the government. Uh, there's a misinformation combat alliance that is sort of you know giving feedback in terms of the government's decision to come out uh, with a you know fact-checking unit. So we're engaging with them on that front. Uh, as far as AI goes, we have not had that conversation yet because I think right now there's there's not a lot of trust on uh, both sides. So we need to sort of reach an agreement uh, and then have that conversation uh, about AI and all of that. But at least at uh, the global fact level and international fact-checking organizations, yes, we're aware of this problem and we are also monitoring what is happening in this space in other countries because India usually is not a pioneer of any new technology but uh, we tend to follow what other countries are doing. 
So if we are seeing deep fake videos being used in the US or in Russia in the context of the Russia Ukraine war then it's a matter of time uh, you know when it just it comes here as well. Karen on that realistic but slightly pessimistic note thank you very much for being part of this. Your insights are absolutely invaluable because we got a insight picture of how fact checking is done and what are the challenges that AI will bring to fact checking as we move into election year. I wish you all the best. I wish your teams all the best. I wish all the fact checking organizations around the world all the very best because we know how hard uh, you guys are working. It's a 24 by 7 job. So thank you for that service, Karen. Thank you for joining me and hope to see you back again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks very much, Sachin. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashila.inst or our website takshashila.org.in.